Hello. My name is Robert Lloyd, and I'm with the Lemieux Center for Public Policy at Palm Beach Atlantic University. And I want to thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Quill Podcast. We're going to switch things up a little bit today. We usually have an interview with an individual on some topic that we think is of public policy importance. Today, we will be talking and interviewing myself. I wanted to talk a little bit about some geopolitical topics that have been in the news lately, which I think would be of interest to you. We also uh, have these topics as regularly scheduled part of the Lemieux Center for Public Policy. In the past, we've had Admiral Stavridis, who is available through our website. We've also had Michael O'Hanlon from the Brookings Institute, who's also talked about geopolitical topics. So nothing new, uh, but today I want to talk a little bit about the most recent visit of President Joe Biden to Europe and put it in the broader context of the geopolitical aspects in the world today. And we're going to do this all in about 15 minutes, give you the big picture and then put it into context. It's by no means going into the, all the details, but to provide a broader picture of where we're going in the new administration. I wanted to point out we have a new Quill issue coming out, which is taking a look at the Supreme Court in light of the new Biden administration. So that shall be out soon, too. But getting back to President Biden, it, on his first trip abroad as president, he went to Britain and met with the G7, which is a group of basically wealthy democratic states. And it's an annual event. Uh, the countries get together and talk about topics of mutual interest. It's a summit sort of thing, which means that a lot of the work has been done before they even show up. And so it's, it's got a bit of a pageantry to it, but it's at the same time it's important for the leaders to get together and, and chat about various topics and to welcome uh, President Biden to the, to the meeting as president. The number of topics they, they talked about, obviously China, uh, Russia, climate change, uh, some trade issues, uh, NATO. I mean, there were a number of topics that they discussed and I think it's important to realize that uh, this is an alliance, it's a grouping, which is uh, addressing some larger geopolitical concerns. So let's step back a little bit and take a look at that. In the world today, we have, you could divide things up into, I guess, what you'd call status powers, status quo powers, and challenging powers. And that's been true for the last 500 years. The names have changed, but at the same time, there are countries that challenge the existing international order that want to change it, and there are those who are saying, you know, we kind of like it the way it is. And in the most recent iteration, we have uh, several countries that are challenging the international order. The G7 really is a group of countries that uh, is our status quo powers, and that doesn't that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that the liberal international order that's been constructed on the ruins of World War II is supported and being defended. At the same time, other countries, uh, notably China and Russia, have um, been desiring to make changes in that system and assert greater control on their part and reduce the influence of countries like the United States and the others of the G7. So the G7 meeting needs to be seen in that context. 
Okay, so when we take a look at this, there's several areas where status quo and challenging powers would disagree on. Some they would agree, some they would disagree. But the, the challenging powers, particularly China and Russia, want to see an international order in which their influence is greater and that of the West and the United States is less. So you'll see this in the area of military and economics and sort of in the soft power or sort of um, the goodwill that countries have uh, towards Russia and China. So efforts uh, are made there, both military and diplomatic. Russia's been working on the military end. It's been developing its forces, modernizing its military forces, uh, extending its influence into the Middle East and also into the Arctic. Uh, China, for its part, has been extending its military control into the southeastern part of the um, area between the Philippines and Vietnam and South China Sea, and also uh, making stronger um, words about Taiwan and its status uh, as a basically an independent territory from uh, the People's Republic of China. At the same time, you see it modernizing its military forces uh, and actively moving into space exploration, which has a lot of knock-on military benefits. So the Chinese economy, of course, has grown enormously in the past few decades. Uh, Russia has uh, begun to recover from from the collapse of the Soviet Union and is, ex is seeking to expand its influence. Now, things are reversed. During the Cold War, end of the Cold War, the Soviet Union, which is Russia's successor state, was the dominant power and China was the sort of the junior partner. Now it's sort of reversed with those two. So an interesting development there. Uh, at the same time, there are a number of other countries, I would call them second or probably closer to third tier, which are seeking to support changes in the system. Uh, challenging powers, that would be Iran, would be probably the most notable. Uh, there are others. Uh, Venezuela would be one, I think, and North Korea, which is a little bit of a wild card in many ways, would certainly uh, seek to reduce the influence of the West on the area. So we have those countries which are uh, working together to varying degrees uh, to change the international order and make it in a direction where the West would have less influence. So the G7 meeting is affirming the traditional ties of the West and the liberal democracies uh, to supporting a free and open system. Now, where do we go from here? It, it's an interesting development. The uh, one say, okay, you know, you're among your friends, where do you go next? So uh, President Biden then went to Switzerland and met with the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, and they had a discussion. It, they talked upon a number of topics uh, that have caused stress between the two countries, such as uh, issues of cyber attacks, uh, human rights violations, and so forth. It was described as basically cordial as one can be, but there are clear differences between the two countries. So moving forward, the question is, what now? And a lot depends on what U.S. interests are. Recently, it was announced that the United States is going to withdraw forces from Afghanistan and also transfer anti-missile defenses from the Middle East more towards Asia. So the United States is clearly pivoting its power um, projection into the Western Pacific to counter China as China grows 
uh, militarily and economically. Where do we go from here? Well, there's the short term and the long term. I think in the short term, the United States under Biden administration will seek to uh, shore up the ties between Europe and the United States and, and Europe and its allies in Asia, particularly Japan, which is really critically important, and South Korea. Long term, it's trying to um, meet the concerns of a growing China. And it's an interesting development. You know, going back 100 years to World War I, you had Germany, which had come across the scene and had just come together as a country for World War I, gosh, um, 40 years earlier in 1870-71. And it had grown enormously economically and really wanted to have a say, was a challenger power, wanted to have a say in the world, for strongly nationalistic. And it was met with um, opposition by countries such as France and Britain, who wanted to restrain German power in the heart of Central Europe. Uh, in many ways, China, and I'm not the first to point this out, China has also uh, has strongly nationalistic, sort of rapidly growing, industrializing, uh, feeling like it came late to the scene and wants to expand its influence. So you see it active not just militarily, but with closer ties to the de developing world, um, trying to increase its influence, uh, building a military base in Djibouti in East Africa, or a non-base base, as they would, might call it. But it's, so there, in many ways, there's some parallels there. There's some clear differences, but there's some parallels. And where you have other countries that are also seeking to upend the order one of the major differences between then and now is there's a whole host of ties and interrelationships that exist now that didn't exist before. Uh, so to be a part of the international system uh, entails um, losing some aspect of your sovereignty. Now, the thinking in World War I is that globalization had occurred to such an extent that there's no way the European countries would attack each other. Not true, and it certainly put international trade in a tailspin for decades. Um, but I do think it's fundamentally different today uh, than before. And I think the awareness that the cost of a war would be devastating to all sides will certainly temper it. So uh, I think the Biden administration is going to be facing some of these challenges, not only the economic challenges, but the military challenges in trying to present uh, the importance of a liberal democratic order to the developing world, uh, seeking to show that this system best meets the aspirations of its people, not only in economic terms, but in political terms, and that it remains a viable alternative to a more authoritarian, sort of top-down, managed, uh, semi-capitalist economy. The... I think overall, I would say I'm fairly optimistic about those possibilities. The, uh, the challenge, of course, will be to maintain that over the long term. The United States uh, operates on a four-year cycle and really a two-year cycle politically. So every two years we have midterm congressional elections, so that focuses everyone's mind. So moving forward, you could have a situation in less than two years could have the House and the Senate switched to Republican control. And 
sort of uh, Biden's domestic agenda would be ended. So a lot of times presidents will then shift to more of an international agenda, you know, foreign policy where they're less constrained. So historically, that that probably will be a good bet uh, that Biden, who's got a lot of international experience, will seek to uh, switch his attention from domestic to international topics. That remains to be seen. So a couple other thoughts here before we finish this very unusual um, Quill podcast uh, is a few uh, loose ends, I would say internationally. Uh, Iran had sent a, a warship into the Atlantic, which caught everyone's attention. I was not too concerned about that. It's, um, it seemed to have more symbolic importance than actual political importance. You know, concerns where it was heading to Venezuela. Um, but that, that would be, you know, that would be difficult to defend a ship like that in the Caribbean against the United States. The COVID is the other wild card, I guess, to end on that one. Uh, COVID is receding in this country as the vaccines come out and more and more people are vaccinated and uh, some of the policy changes and uh, take place here. Uh, overseas, it's a different story. We're all familiar, of course, with India and Brazil and some of those areas which have uh, been greatly affected, and they probably won't be able to be fully vaccinated for some time, maybe next year. This has created a geopolitical challenge in that um, developed countries have been rolling out the vaccination and getting the vaccine or getting, excuse me, the epidemic under control, whereas developing world are still suffering from that. What this means is in the next year, you're going to see really a marked difference as the developed countries begin to re return uh, economically and grow and prosper, whereas the developing world, which is um, poor, you know, that less money, uh, they struggle. That's going to be tough uh, for, for them. So I think geopolitically, it's important to keep that in mind. Next year, for the West and for developed countries, it looks a little more positive. For the developing world, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, in addressing the crises. And those, of course, have very real impacts on the people uh, in those countries. And already see, you see the United States trying to respond to that by providing uh, additional support for vaccines. And some of this is, of course, vaccine diplomacy between Russia and China, which have provided vaccines in the United States, uh, which is now providing vaccines. So geopolitically, some very interesting things going on. And I wanted to mention these. So just things to think about um, moving forward into the next period of time. So that's it for today. It's a short podcast. And again, we will have other podcasts. And later on, I'll be interviewing people on various topics. we beginning to line up some individuals for that. And as always, it's thoughtful and reasoned discourse. We try to understand the policies, what's going on, and the various options available to us. And then, of course, we're not ignoring the politics whatsoever. Um, but we do try to understand sort of what's the best course of action, what are the options, and, and how do we go from there? And then leave it to you, um, the listener or the reader, to think it through and sort of um, formulate it for yourself as, uh, as informed citizens. So thank you again for joining us, and we will catch you next time as we uh, continue the quill podcast. Again, my name is Robert Lloyd. 
for the Center, Lemieux Center for Public Policy at Palm Beach Atlantic University.